We're in a series of messages that we've just entitled, Why? Last week we talked about why I should trust the Bible, why I should believe it's God's Word. Uh, that message is up on the internet. It took a little time because we had some mix-ups to get it up there. And I know a lot of people told me that you were impacted by that and wanted to share that with family and friends. It's a good way to invite people to church to, on Facebook to share that message uh, or any message. Just, hey, this is a little bit what our church is like and, and uh, give them a message or something like that. But... Um, Last week's message is, is, was extremely, extremely important. I hope all messages are important. But last week's message on why we should trust God's Word, to be God's Word, and authoritative in our life, is, is just really, really crucial. And so um, that's up on the Internet. Feel free to share that. This message is crucial as well. Um, because when you talk about why questions, I think this would be the number one why of all the whys that you could have about the Christian faith, all the the trouble with Christianity maybe, or people scratch their head and said, why is it this way or why is it that way? And this morning I want to talk to you about why. Why would a loving God come up with something like hell? I mean, that's a really, really important question to ponder. And that just can't be, well, in Sunday school they said, no, no, it's a really, really important question to ponder. Well, why would a, a loving God, I, I, I don't, there's so much that you can say about this whole concept of hell and the reality of hell and what the Bible says about it. I hesitate to say why would God send people to hell because God doesn't send people to hell. They choose to go there. Okay? That's really, really important. So I guess it's maybe it's somatics or something. I don't know. But people choose to go there. And you could say, why would a loving God even have a, in his whole economy, why would he even have something called hell? And so I think it's worthy of some time today. It's been since August of 2012, as I look back over in the archive of messages that I preached, a message totally devoted to the subject of, of hell. Um, we don't do that too often. And basically, I just don't like to preach about it. I just honest with you. Every now, I, I can remember, you know, sometimes in the past, I think maybe even at this church, but sometimes in my 22-year ministry, I preached a message on hell, and people come up and say, "Good job, way to go, give it to them." <laughs> I don't understand that. Okay, that's as honest as I can be on that. Uh, I don't get a kick out of it. Uh, it's part of God's word. It's an important part of the whole understanding of Christianity. Uh, but this is not something I just am running to the pulpit to preach. I'm not sure there are too many amens today. And if there were a lot of amens, I'm not sure I'd like it, to be quite honest with you. So in some way, I'm going to say something really weird. I don't, I don't think you're probably going to like this message too much. But it's true. But it's true. And there's a whole... A lot of people that have all kinds of objections to Christianity based on the biblical teaching of hell. I pulled a quote from Charles Darwin that uh, several decades ago he was quoted as saying this, I can hardly see how anyone ought to wish Christianity to be true. For if so, the plain language of the text seems to show that the men, that men who do not believe, and this would include my father, brother and sister, Almost all my friends, best friends, will be everlastingly punished. And this is a damnable doctrine. 
at least he takes the text seriously. <laughs> you know? So this is, I mean, you know, I think if people listed objections to Christianity, I think the whole hell issue would be right there at the very top of that. And, you know, I think sometimes maybe we kind of avoid the top issue because it's just, it's just, it's just hard. It's socially awkward. You don't go in the break room and say, what y'all been thinking about hell lately? You know, you know, we just don't do stuff like that. But it's vital and really important. Um, I got a picture of a comedic duo up here. Do y'all know who those people are? I, I, I wish you didn't know who they were because they're kind of honorary, to be quite honest with you. Um, I'm joking with you. Uh, but they are honorary. And their, their stand-up acts uh, aren't one that I want my boys to hear. But um, Penn Gillette is a brilliant person. Um, he's an atheist, but he's brilliant. And uh, let's be honest with you, a lot of atheists are very bright people. Um, the Bible says the foolishness of the cross, that the, that the wisdom of the cross is foolishness to many of the wise people. <laughs> but Penn Jillette is very wise and very smart, and he's a thinker. And I came across a little one-minute video clip of Penn Jillette talking about this subject of hell. Now, he's an atheist, okay? Now, he uses a word in here that I don't use very often, and so I'm going to define it in case there may be a few of you that don't know the word. The word is proselyze, and it's just kind of a secular way of talking about evangelize. It's just kind of a secular way to say that. So when he says proselyze, just kind of put evangelize, sharing the good news, talking to people about Jesus in there. Can we play that, Amy? And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. So this truck's bearing down on you. He said, there's a certain point that I tackle you and get you out of the way. And he goes, this is more important than that. Again, I don't recommend that anybody listen to Penn Gillette. Uh, his comedy is crude, and, and it certainly wouldn't be something that I allow my boys to listen to and fill their mind with. But he's bright. And when it comes to this topic here, he's right on, even though he's an atheist. <laughs> and it's really striking language. How much do you have to hate someone? to not tell them if you really believe this. And that's really striking language for, for all of us to be able to hear. And I think there's truth. There's truth there. I want to come to this subject differently than I ever have in 22 years of preaching. 
I want to say two things that are going to make you scratch your head. I want, I want to say two things that are going to make you say, what in the world is he talking about? One of those two things is this. Believing, believing in hell helps you to live at peace with other people. It's a pretty odd statement, isn't it? Believing in hell helps you to live at peace with other people. One of my favorite scriptures of all God's word, one of the most practical verses of all God's word is Romans 12, 18. And Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as much as it depends upon you, live at peace with all men. And I'm here for you to consider this. Stay with me for the next couple of minutes and let me shed light on this. That, that believing in the doctrine of hell and understanding and accepting the reality of hell helps you live at peace with other people around you. Now, here's what I mean. What do you do with the injustice of life? Okay? We all have little injustices that happen all the time. Somebody doesn't return a phone call, and somebody snubs us in the hallway, and the preacher didn't say hi to me, and all that kind of stuff. Okay? Well, that stuff happens all the time. It's, it's small. It's, it's little. Uh, you know, somebody gossiped about me at work. Okay, those are little injustices that happen. Most of us can allow those to roll off our backs. Okay, but what about significant injustices? Uh, what about that person that gossiped about you at work, told the boss, the boss believed him, and the boss fired you? But you have been wronged. You have been wronged. What about, your, what about your little third grader that goes to elementary school and is being bullied? That. Yeah, now, we're taking, the, we're taking it up a notch, aren't we? That, what do you do with that injustice? What do you do with that, with that wrong? What do you do when you see uh, people being mistreated, looked down upon, what, what, do you, what do you do with that? Or even take the injustice up another notch. What do we do with sexual abuse of little girls by their daddies? What do we do with that? What do I do with that? What do I do with that in my spirit of the injustice of little boys or little girls that go through horrible Sexual. We, 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 let's, take it up, let's take it up another notch, maybe. Maybe it's on the same plane. I don't know. You hear all kinds of weird things about some place you've never heard of and some state you've never been to. They just found 12 little kids that have been locked up for 10 years in, in this guy's basement. We hear about stuff like that every now and then. What do you do with that injustice as a human being? Hopefully none of us would ever, ever have to deal with this, but let's take it up as high as it'll go. What do you do? With that drunk driver that runs your 16-year-old over that just got his license. What do you do with that person that breaks in your house and shoots your spouse? I mean, I'm talking about serious injustice. What do you, what do, you do about third-world countries where there's genocide going on? And, and, and people are just killed because of the color of their skin or, or, or their religion. That's serious, serious injustice. Not just somebody made you mad, somebody didn't return your phone call, da-da-da. I'm talking about, what do you do with that in your spirit? Do you return evil for evil? 
uh, tit for tat. They came, me, they came at me and I go back at them. I think you know enough, or some of you do at least about God's word, that, that if I take revenge, if I take matters into my own hands, it's a fundamental lack in belief in God. Taking matters into my own hands, settling the score myself, returning violence for violence, evil for evil, sword for sword, ugly word for ugly word, put down for put down, whatever it may be. I think you know enough about God's word that that is forbidden. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15 is the first place I can take you to. Make sure that nobody pays back. And First Thessalonians is written to preachers. So here's what Paul's saying to you preachers out there. When you preach and teach, make sure that none of your people pay back wrong for wrong. But always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. We have another scripture, I think, from Hebrews. For we know him who said, this is a quote from Deuteronomy. When you see a quote in the New Testament, in, in quota, when we see a verse in quotation marks, that means it's from the Old Testament. So this is from Deuteronomy somewhere. Uh, for we know him who says, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. Again, the Lord will judge his people. See, taking revenge is a fundamental lack of belief in God. And a fundamental lack of belief that God in his time and his way will set things right. Now, this next verse, I think it's fascinating that this is 1219. And I quoted earlier, 1218 was, if it is possible, as much as it depends upon you, live at peace. The very next verse is about revenge. Live at peace. The very next verse that Paul writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, now when I'm thinking about peace, by the way, don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, saith the Lord. I'm trying to tell you that I don't know what to do with that consternation in my soul when I feel like an injustice has been done to me or someone else. It churns in my belly. I don't like it. I'm not easy to live with. And what God says, Mark, don't take revenge. Leave room for God's wrath and give it to me. Let me deal with it. So the whole topic of God's judgment, of which hell would be a part of that, the whole understanding that God will judge should help me deal with the injustices of life, the people that do me wrong, the things in life that I don't understand, and that feeling in me when that person has done me wrong and look at them, they got a raise, I didn't get a raise, they're succeeding, I'm not succeeding. What do I do, that, do with that feeling? is but give it to God because the Bible says if that situation needs to be dealt with, God will deal with it. He will judge it. Maybe his hell would be a part of that judgment. Maybe it won't be. I don't know. It's up to God. 
but I can take that off my back. I can take that out of my spirit and how much it's churning and tightening up my gut and say, this is not mine to deal with. I will not take revenge. I will leave room for God's wrath. I will allow God to decide. I will not battle violence with violence. I will not fight a sword with another sword. I'll let God deal with this issue. See what I'm saying, friends? The very fact that there is divine judgment upon which hell is a part of that allows me to live at peace with people in the world that don't treat me right. Now, us, us folk that live in nice little suburbia, we don't have to deal with problems like people in third world countries do and people comes and genocide into a whole community. We don't understand that. We, we talk about nonviolence over here. What we, we need to talk about nonviolence is over in some country we can't pronounce where somebody just wiped out a whole city. We, we don't have to deal with that too much here. I think of Moses, not Moses, Exodus Moses, but the Moses that I talked about a few weeks ago when we got back from Papua New Guinea. Took an offering for him. Remember that story? His, his brother killed somebody. His brother killed somebody. His brother gets thrown in jail for it. But the culture of the day is you go to the next of kin and take retribution. Moses was the next of kin. They go burn Moses' house down. It's the culture there. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. You did me wrong, we got to get, get something out of your hide here. How does Moses deal with the fact that, that his house was totally burnt down, that his family now is living in three different houses, that he's somehow got to come up with 30,000 kina, that's 10,000 American dollars, to build a new structure for his home? How does he deal with that? Bible says, and listen, friends, I know I'm talking about mature Christianity here, aren't I? I'm not talking about any immature Christianity. I'm talking about serious, serious following Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm not talking about any Sunday church going. But what's the, what's the Christ-like follower, a, per, a person that wants to be wholly devoted to Jesus Christ? What does that person do when you have serious injustice done against you? Bible says, trust in God who will judge. And hell may or may not be for that situation, part of God's. God will deal with it. And whatever he does, the judge of all the world will do right. I don't have to carry it. How do I deal with all the monstrosities of human evil that we see everywhere, read about everywhere? How do I deal with all those monstrosities of evil without becoming a monster myself? God will judge. Do not pay back. Do not return evil from evil? How can I help from picking up the sword? How can I help from getting in that cycle of violence that we all know goes nowhere? God will repay. God will repay. One of the resources 
that we have to deal with just the flat out injustices of life is that God is a God of judgment. And he has promised that he'll make all things right. Maybe not in my lifetime. I may never see it. It doesn't make any difference. Because if I want to see it, it's about me. I want to see that person get their comeuppance. That's about me. So I'm trying to tell you something that you, that you may have never really thought before. Believing in the reality of hell helps you live at peace with other people that have treated you wrong, maybe even in a little way or maybe not in a little way. Revenge is fueled by a lack of belief in God. Revenge is fueled by a lack of belief that God is a just God and he will take care of this issue one way or the other. I think one other reason for us to believe in the reality of hell is just as odd, maybe more odd. I, I, I want to talk to you for the time I have left on believing in the reality of hell because it's only through hell. Now hold on your seats, you're going to go nuts. But it's only through hell that we know and experience the love, of, the love of God. It's only through hell that we know and that we experience the love of God. Now, now listen to me. The Bible talks about the fear of the Lord several places in God's word. And the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. Doesn't say it's interesting there. Doesn't say it's wisdom. It says it's the start of wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's not the whole deal. It's the beginning of wisdom. And with the fear of the Lord, you could almost say like the fear of hell, that the Lord will throw you into hell or something like that. And there are some people that just have this fear relationship, this fear relationship with God. And, 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 and they're in church today and sitting in a pew and maybe putting in the tithe or something like that just because they fear God. And fearing God is, to a degree is, is, is okay. It's absolutely right and proper to have a respect for God, a reverence for God, uh, a fact that God is God, he's not to be messed with, and God will not be mocked. Absolutely. But if my relationship is based on fear with God, that's not a biblical relationship with him. And in fact, if you want to think about it, if I have a fear-based relationship with God, I'm, just, I'm, I'm in church today so I won't get thrown into hell, that's selfish. A relationship with God, I'm to have a relationship to God to bring him pleasure, to walk with him, to learn about him, to be close with him. He's my father and I'm his child. And that's so far different than understanding a fear-based relationship. We said last week that if you know mentally why the Bible is true, that that is important, that's crucial, that's necessary, but it is not sufficient. You remember I bore down on that? It's important to have that head knowledge, to know why it's true, why God's word is God's word. That's important, that's crucial, that's necessary, but it is not sufficient. It will not, in and of itself, make you a Christian and change your life and make you into the person God wants you to be. That's a heart issue, and it has to go deep in that. May I say the same thing about the fear of the Lord? Having the fear of God 
is important, it's crucial, it's necessary, but it is not sufficient. Did you get that? The fear of God, it's important, it's necessary, but it is not sufficient. It won't change the fundamental structures of my heart. And that's what has to change, friends. Fear doesn't change me. Fear doesn't change me. Because I may behave at the right time, but as soon as, as, as I can get away with something, I get away with something. Fear doesn't change me. What, what changes me? What transforms me? It's the love of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 said, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Oh, it's only the love of God that changes the fundamental structures of my heart. And how do I get that love? How do I understand mentally and experience that love? Is I got to know what he went through for me on the cross and why he went through it. I got to know what he suffered on the cross and why he suffered it. I got to know what the cross was. And friends, if you've never been told it, the cross was hell. The cross was hell, both experientially and, re and in a reality type of way. The father turned his back on the son. And what could be more hellish than that? Isaiah chapter 53 speaks of it. This prophesied centuries before Jesus was even born. Speaking of Jesus, he was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our sorrows. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. That sounds like hell to me. I'm telling you, Jesus took, Jesus took on himself hell on the cross. He just didn't. We're just not saying, well, that was a hellish experience. Well, that was really hell or whatever you want to use it as an adjective. He experienced it. The father turned his back. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And only can we know the reality of what happened on the cross that day can we truly understand the love of God. And only the reality of what we were saved for and what he experienced for us can we truly understand God's love and truly worship him as he wants to be worshiped. Our scripture, I didn't read all of Isaiah or, or did I, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds, or older translations say his stripes, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. <laughs> Let me tell you, friends, if you want a love relationship with God, a big step toward that is understanding what he went through for you 
and that he took hell on for you. I heard a guy tell this story one day and help me ex- understand it. He said this guy was, was house-sitting for someone, and while he was house-sitting, uh, someone came to that, the door of the house, and it was a bill collector, and, he, he, and the guy that was house-sitting paid the bill for the owner of the house that he was house-sitting for. So the guy returns from away, the guy that owns the house, and you know that, that guy has no absolutely idea how to respond to that bill that that guy paid for him until he knows how much the bill was. Maybe the bill was nothing more than uh, you know a two dollar parking ticket or something like that, or postage due on a on a package one dollar or something like that. And if that's the case, you'll say thanks, appreciate that. But then maybe the IRS just caught up with you. And that bill is thousands that this guy paid. One, you just say, hey, thanks, appreciate it. Other, you fall down and kiss his feet. You get what I'm saying here? If you understand the depth of the debt that Jesus paid for you and how much he has saved you, from it prompts a love relationship with him not a fear relationship bible says jesus suffered on the cross obviously and the bible tells us about hell and says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth jesus experienced something of hell on the cross bible says that jesus took the whole weight of sin Upon him. Can you imagine that? I, no, we can't. I'll answer that. No, you can't, and I can't either. That Jesus bore the weight of the sin of the whole world. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He took sin upon himself. He became sin for us. Can you imagine that? What that experience was like for Jesus, bearing the weight of the sin of all the world. Let me tell you, if you understand what he went through for you, It'll prompt a love relationship and help you with your love for God. If you understand that he saved you from hell and he just didn't whatever, takes you away from a fear relationship and puts you into a a love relationship, do you understand that he on the cross suffered the wrath of God's judgment? Can you imagine? You didn't suffer it. I didn't have to suffer it. He suffered it for us, so we won't have to suffer it one day. Can you imagine that? What does that even mean? I don't know what that means. The wrath of God's judgment. He, he, he took that. He took that for us. And he was obviously felt separated from God, or he wouldn't have said, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? You know, I don't, know, I don't understand the Trinity and understand the depth of that relationship and that closeness. Nobody does. Nobody can explain that to you. But I have a feeling that the, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are closer than any husband and wife or, or mom and daughter or, or any type of human relationship. And can you imagine when the Father separated himself from the Son can you imagine the grief that we feel when we have a spouse die or a son die or a daughter die? Or Can you imagine that grief? And can you compound that when the father 
separated himself for the son of time of the cross. I, I can't fathom that. The people that will write hell out of the Bible, you, you ought to very graciously ask them a question. And they'll just say God is love. And yeah, God is love. I know that. I absolutely know that. And that's really, really important. <laughs> and, and they'll say, you know, God's just love could never, ever do anything like that. Ask them, um, what, has, what has his love for you cost him? Because after all, love has to be sacrificial, right? Your God, your God had to pay what? Your God had to sacrifice what to love you? And they won't have an answer for that. But love is sacrificial, or it's not love. Love is not goosebumps. Love is not uh, hair standing. That's not a feeling that, 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 that comes and goes with, uh, with different things. Love is an action, if, if you believe the biblical definition of love. It's an action. Love, love is sacrifice. Ask any husband if he loves his wife, and if he doesn't sacrifice for his wife, he doesn't love his wife. Ask any wife if she loves her husband. If she doesn't make sacrifice for her husband, she doesn't love her husband. Ask any mother and father. If they don't make sacrifices for their kids, they don't love their kids. You, you people that believe that there's no hell, what, 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 did, what, did, what does your love cost your God? What does God's love cost him? Nothing. And the Christian understanding of it cost him his life. Cost him the experience of going through hell for you and going through hell for me. It's not easy. It's not an easy subject to preach and talk about. I don't, I don't get all fired up by doing it. But I do it because I love you. I started doing this with my boys. Before I get ready to exercise a little discipline with my boys, I'll say, okay, I'm getting ready to love you. I don't do any good right now, but I hope they remember it when they're 30. I say, I'm getting ready to love you right now. You're grounded for the next eternity. <laughs> okay, I love you. I'm doing, I love you. I'm getting ready to love you right now. Sue's not in here, is she? She'd get mad at me if I tell this story. I know none of you all will tell her. Don't tell her. <laughs> Came home late the other night, and Sue was already in bed, and I could tell someone was bothering her. And I said, what's, what's bothering her? And she, so she told me, spent the next few minutes telling me what, what had gone on. And I sat there and listened. And listened. And I was trying really hard to listen. <laughs> if you women are mad at me, all the guys know what I'm talking about right now. And so Sue finally finished telling me what was eating her. And I was trying so hard to be quiet and listen. But I couldn't be quiet anymore. I said, Sue, do you just want me to empathize with you? Or do you want me to love you right now? Because she had struggled that day with an issue 
And I'm not going to go into that whole thing. But it's an issue that she struggled with before, and we've had this conversation before. And I said, I love you so much, and because I love you, I'm going to risk you being mad at me for telling you this again. Because when you love somebody, you tell them the truth. Isn't that an amazing thing? How many husbands and wives go all life never tackling difficult subjects because they feel like it'll make each other mad? That's not an intimate relationship. That's not an intimacy. So because I love you, I speak the truth this morning, even though it's not pleasant for me. Hell is a reality, and you don't have to go there. And it's your choice. It's your choice. If you would only believe that he took the wrath of God's judgment, it took hell upon himself, so you won't have to. That a substitutionary death for you. That feeling should prompt something so intimate in us that we call it being born again. Maybe there's somebody here that you're in that kind of fear-based relationship. Get out of it. I'm not sure it's Christian at all. It may be good enough to bring you to church, but it may not be good enough to get you to heaven. It's a love relationship. Gratefulness. You fall at his feet and worship him because what he saved you from. Our servers are coming to the table. We close every single service here at Xenia Nazarene with remembering Jesus' death on the cross for us. And the Bible says, if you would just repent and believe, repenting for you today can be nothing more than you getting up out of your seat. That action could be a symbol of repentance for you, that you get up out of your seat, you leave that faith-based relationship, you leave that unbelieving relationship, and you come and receive communion. That could be a, a, a very tangible symbol of repentance. And the Bible says you repent and believe, and you believe the gospel of what I've tried to teach to you today. Father, I pray you take these words that I'm sure I've stumbled on and I haven't done justice to this topic because it's immense and far above my head. But I pray in Jesus' name that you'll take these words and somehow have, have empowered them with grace and they'll make sense to these folks and they'll grasp not only the reality of hell but the unbelievable plan of salvation that you have made for us through your son, Jesus Christ in whose name we pray, amen.